We are very pleased to be gathered on the uh, lands of the Semiamu, Semiamu, Stolo, and Kwantlen peoples. Um, we uh, like making these announcements uh, because we love where we live and we love where where we live comes from. Um, we are celebrating Advent. Uh, for those of you who were in person last week, it was awesome. The candle lit up just flawlessly. It was perfect um, and uh, slightly electronic, um, but there were no issues with lighters or anything like that. And uh, I think I think we're on today. We're gonna we're gonna keep it going seamlessly with the candles. Yeah. Hi, so I'm Tara, if you haven't met me yet, and I'll be doing the second Advent reading for this week, Faith and Hope. Oh God, as if it couldn't be possible, these are still darkening days for our struggling earth, for our countries and their leaders, our friends and family, and for ourselves. Blessed are we with eyes open to see the world as it really is, who say, where are you, God? And where are your people? The smart and sensible ones who fight for good and have the power to make it stick. Oh God, help us in our fear and confusion amid so much uncertainty. Shine your light upon us. God have mercy, Christ have mercy, spirit have mercy. Though now it is a place of hidden hope, we know that you are the anchor dropped into the future, our future. Come, Lord Jesus, shine on our darkness and show us the way. As we dwell in the shadows during Advent, Jesus calls us to be on guard and to be alert at all times, for the kingdom of God is near. Today we light two candles, the candle of compassion and we add to it the candle of mindfulness. This is a season of deliberate mindfulness and insight, a time of remembering with Mary Oliver that to pay attention is our endless and proper work. Pay attention to what exactly? To the world around us near and far, from violets to mosses, moments of mercies to slices of melon, each one a sign of God's coming near with what Oliver calls an imaginable glory. Be alert. Let's pray. God of light and hope, violet and mosses, mercy and melons, be with us in the shadow of despair, anxiety, and grief. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the signs of your coming rain all around us. Sharpen our imaginations, open our hearts, Fill us with your light and hope so that we might be the lanterns of encouragement for others. Come, Jesus, come. Amen. Good morning, and thank you for leading us in that, Tara. I love the candles and the fact that we're not using <laughs> matches or lighters anymore. I remember as a kid growing up, and that was like the moment in the service during Advent where everyone was holding their breath on whether this was going to get pulled off or not. So anyways, thank you, Tara. 
I'm going to be leading us in communion this morning. And so I'm hoping that you have your, um, your bread and your um, um, beverage of choice ready for, um, for that now. Um, and if not, maybe you can grab that while I just lead us into that. Our Advent theme for this morning is hope. And so I wanna draw that into our communion time this morning. If you aren't familiar with the story surrounding where communion originated, let me take a, a quick minute to set that stage. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem and it's Passover, which is the celebration of their freedom from uh, slavery. Jesus has asked the disciples to prepare a meal for them to have together that evening. He starts by washing their feet, demonstrating his intention to wipe off the residue of sin, which is like heartache and shame and guilt and ultimately and finally death. And then during the meal, Jesus fills them in on a few other things. He mentions that they will betray him and that his death will be the means for their forgiveness. So how does that translate for us? Every time we receive communion, we celebrate our freedom from whatever we have been enslaved to. We are accepting Jesus's willingness to wash off all of the effects of sin and all the things this world drops on us. We come to terms with our broken selves and the ways we betray Jesus and others and ourselves. And we remember to accept the forgiveness that is already ours. And this is our hope that though we are mortal and often covered in this residue of sin, and though we betray ourselves and Jesus, we are forgiven and we can celebrate our freedom from the slavery to sin. So let's receive this communion this morning with hearts of celebration and a deep willingness to accept the forgiveness, the freedom and communion that Jesus offers. So let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful for your presence in our lives and the freedom it provides for us. And we accept this communion our, and our hearts are full with gratitude for you. Amen. Let's take the bread and the wine and be grateful.
So it's my it's my privilege now to introduce you to Kevin Bose. Um, so first of all, Kevin, like we raced through everything this morning. And so, you know, those things you cut out, you can just put them right back in now. Um, but so, <laughs> Kevin, um, Kevin pointed out the other day um, when we were texting back and forth that he had not texted me since 2015. And um, I thought that was interesting that that actually was still in his phone or whatever. Um, so back in another life, um, Kevin and I had the privilege of working together in another um, faith community and um, I really, really enjoyed getting to know Kevin, um, really appreciated his skills and his gifting as a musician, but more than that, just his character and just how outstanding of a person he really is. Um, add into the mix his lovely wife, Nancy, and, you know, it's all there. So um, I'm, I'm really glad that he's been... Um, helping out with some of our music and when I asked him to um to consider speaking to us one Sunday it did take him quite a while to say yes but you know in the end um he was um he was willing to do this and so I'm looking forward to what he has to share this morning I'm gonna um just pray for you Kevin and then it's all on you no pressure Awesome. Um, so Jesus, thank you. Um, I'm so grateful for this community and I'm so grateful particularly for the people that, uh, encompass it. And one of those people is Kevin and I appreciate his presence, the way he participates, um, and the encourager that he is to me and to many. So I ask this morning that you will give him peace as he shares and, uh, and that he will just be at ease as he um, brings what you've put on his heart today. Thank you for Kevin and thank you for your presence, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Eden. Appreciate all that. Um, yeah, it was great to get to know Eden and Brad through that other life, and it's so good to be doing stuff together again. Uh, before I get going, you're probably curious about my backdrop. It is a, is a musician's room that my boys helped me build a couple years ago through COVID. So thank you, COVID, for this room. I'll give you the quick tour. Um, it's mostly album covers on the walls that I found in my basement. And there's a mixture of uh, classic rock, ABBA, um, some Billy Joel back there. This is my Rush homage wall here, whatever, sacred wall. I'm a huge Rush fan. Boston, Dave Matthews Band, yes. And then this was my son's idea to have a Christian section. <laughs> uh, 
hardcore Christians that come in will go, oh, isn't that awesome? And then people that really know me will know it's a little cynical. So that's good. Uh, you too. And then, of course, some sports. My boys and I are very into sports as well. That's part of an old bike that Jeff would have ridden with. Jeff and I ride together a lot. And that's full circle. So just had to get that out of the way. Um, if you look closely, there are naked people on that rush wall. There's a naked man on a brain. Hope that's not too distracting. And the Permanent Waves album has a slightly revealing woman on it. I'll put my head in front of that one. <laughs> All right. Um, got that out of the way. Let me get my talk up here. So yeah, like, uh, like Eden said, uh, I was a little reluctant. Uh, like many who have spoken here before me, my first reaction to Eden's invitation was no. I was a music pastor for over 10 years, so I think she assumed I'd spoken more than a small handful of times I've actually done this. I'm more of a music guy than a talking guy, but then I thought, well, if I'm going to get more involved with the music end of things here, maybe it would be helpful to let you folks know a bit more about where I'm coming from these days. And I say these days, since, of course, that's an ever-evolving thing. I need a drink of water already. My communion was uh, a Christmas almond roca chocolate thing. I've also heard it called Christmas crack and coffee. So that's not great to eat before talking. If I was singing, I would have had something else. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, I'm just going to touch on the lectionary stuff. I'm, I'm loving that we're using a women's lectionary for the whole church by Wilda Gaffney. Uh, out of the four lectionary passages today, I'm only going to focus on one, but there is another one I just wanted to briefly mention uh, since I found it pretty interesting. And I need to switch back to Zoom to see what uh, Sarah's going to show here. So the, the Isaiah passage... Um, how do I make that bigger? Okay, that's cool. So I think this is the NIV that it's, it says, Jerusalem sang, you are now like a woman who never had a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who have never had labor pains, you are now all alone, but you will have more children than a woman who still has a husband. I'm not going to exegete this at all. That's your NIV version. If you can flip to the, well, the Gaffney version. Sing, childless woman, never given birth woman, woman break out a song and rejoice woman, never in labor woman, for more are the children of the devastated woman than the children of the espoused woman, says the giver of life. Woman, expand the place of your tent woman and the curtains of your sanctuary woman, Ex extend them. Do not hold back woman, woman, lengthen your ropes, woman and woman, <laughs> a lot of woman in there, isn't there? I love that. So how do I get back? Out of okay, cool. So I only bring this up because uh, I just found that very interesting about all those woman references that didn't seem to make it into our, you know, most of our translations, you know, that I grew up with anyway. If any of you feel like looking into that more, I'd be curious as to what you come up with as to um, 
I mean, I have guesses as to why some of that happened, of course, but I really just introduced that to bring me to this idea um, that it leads me to speak about women in the sense that I've really enjoyed the female leadership at this church. It's actually, you know, one of the reasons we're, we're coming. I'll be honest and say there have been times where, uh, you know, the thought has crept into my brain. Shouldn't there be at least one guy involved in leading something this morning? <laughs> but then I'll slap my mental wrist and remind myself about the millennia of Sunday morning services around the world including many that I've been in, that haven't included women in leadership at all. I've come to think that women are probably more suited to do most of the things we expect a good worship, a good pastor or leader to do anyway. So it's high time, of course. <clears throat> so thank you, women, for all you do leading this church. And happy second Advent. Um, <clears throat> I was told this Sunday was kind of the traditional focus on faith and hope, but I love uh, what was talked about there with mindfulness and because that actually comes up later in this little chat. So, um, but the idea of faith and hope, um, you know, there's a, there's one of the lectionary passages is from Hebrews that focuses on faith. So I'm going to focus mainly on that and talk about faith and how it relates to my own story including what often accompanies faith at some point or at many points, which is disappointment. As I go along, feel free to unmute yourself to laugh at my dumb jokes, heckle me or call me a heretic, whatever you need to do to keep this fun. So Hebrews 11.8, um, the Wilde Gaffney version here. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were joint heirs with him of the same promise. For he was waiting for the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even though Sarah herself was barren, she received power to knit together seed in spite of length of life, because Abraham considered God faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and that one practically dead, <laughs> I love that, descendants were born. As the multitude of the stars of heaven, and as the innumerable grains of sand by the shore of the sea, in faith died these all without receiving the promises, but from a distance they saw and welcomed them. They acknowledged that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. So I grew up in the Mennonite Brethren tradition in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, Canada, which is where in my early 20s, which was way back in the early 90s and 1900s, I cut my teeth on what was at the time a new contemporary style of leading worship music, especially for us MBs. Uh, it was comforting that a fellow MBer, now vineyard guy Brian Dirksen, was one of those paving the way. Songs of his, like Refiner's Fire, uh, were brand new back then. I had met Nancy, who Eden mentioned, and who many of you got to hear from already back in the summertime, I think. I won't even try to compete with her level of communication. 
<laughs> but I thankfully met her at a capinary school in Germany, and we got married in 1992. In 94, she got a job teaching ESL at Trinity Western down the road here. So like Abraham, we were called to the promised land of BC. We moved out here for that job and for me to hopefully find some mentoring and leading worship from these veteran vineyard guys. I was a music bum for a while, teaching a bit of guitar and working a few odd jobs. Uh, but then we started having kids, so I became a stay-at-home dad, which I suppose today we'd probably just call a dad. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it weirded my parents out, like, why aren't you working and supplying the finances? Uh, but Nancy was working, and she seemed to enjoy it, and I, I didn't mind it, so that was cool. Uh, during that time, we got involved with the Aldergrove Vineyard for about four years, where I tested my calling again to see if my gifts would be recognized and affirmed like they had been in the MB Church context. And sure enough, they were, and I started getting paid a day a week to do something I loved, which I thought was just amazing. After a couple of years of that, I was asked to come on staff at the Abbotsford Vineyard Church, uh, which had just come through its first major kerfuffle, some foreshadowing there. Uh, and they were rebuilding and they hired me for two days a week with the hope that it would grow into a full-time job, which it did over the next couple of years. I was never much of a, uh, you know, pursuing my dream kind of guy. I just felt like I was doing what was in front of me to do. But deeper down, I, I know I did have a dream of becoming a worship music guy like a Brian Dirksen or whatever. And it felt like I was on my way now, you know, getting paid to do music in church. I was living a life of faith. But one of my first major disappointments came when it seemed like I was going to be one of the main worship leaders on a Vineyard International recording. Uh, but my songs didn't make it through the song selecting panel of judges. Sounds like the voice or something, but it wasn't anything like that. Um, but when I heard that news, uh, I just remember actually weeping in Nancy's arms. And I'm not a real weepy guy, typically. I just, you know, it kind of really sunk in how much I had really wanted it. And uh, yeah, it's tough. During that time, there was another theme and passion that grew through my church ministry life that I had faith for. And that was a heart for unity. Back in the late 90s, I had one of those epiphany moments uh, when the John 17 passage uh, it says that they would be one as we are one. That's God talking. Um, that just blew me away, that we would be one as people as the Trinity is one. It seemed like crazy talk to me, uh, but it really sent me on my way to get involved with interdenominational stuff like prayer and worship events and eventually what became Love Abbotsford. And uh, many of you might not have even heard of that. Uh, it was a yearly event on a Saturday in June that gathered mostly evangelical churches of Abbotsford, up to 30 to 40 of them in its heyday of the early 2000s. Uh, churches organized various servant evangelism or random acts of kindness events, like giving away Cokes and hot dogs or washing cars, all for free with a card that said, you know, God loves you, no strings attached which I now realize still had a string attached. We wanted them to become Christians, of course, uh, but we were well-intentioned. 
and it actually spread to several other cities in Canada and the U.S., and uh, I was one of the main organizers of it. Um, so, yeah, it was just a real privilege to be part of that. Uh, the churches did the servant evangelism stuff on the Saturday morning, and then we would gather in the evening for a worship music celebration. And we actually did a live recording of the worship event in 2001. And I got to work directly with Brian Dirksen on that, uh, even co-writing a song with him. So that seemed to make up for, you know, that whole vineyard recording disappointment. And so I thought I was still tracking in the right direction. I still had faith. <laughs> but like many good things, uh, Love Abbotsford seemingly had a shelf life of about seven years. Um, and as the guy in charge of it, it was a super hard thing to let go of. And really, we had to let it die. Of course, I was somewhat comforted by the verse that says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Maybe it did. I think there were a lot of cool things that came out of Love Abbotsford and in the city here and whatever. But, but it, you know, it still was very hard to let it go. If you believe in spiritual warfare, which I definitely did at that time and maybe still do to some extent, um, one possible contributing factor to the demise of Love Abbotsford and other visible unity events going on in the city at that time was the fact that our own vineyard church, the one paying me, you know, one of its staff to work on these interdenominational unity events, uh, which is pretty unique because churches really did keep to themselves and spent money on themselves. So for our vineyard to pay me to help other churches do stuff, that was pretty cool. Um, but it was this church that had its second kerfuffle, this time a major split in 2006. A few of you were around for that as more than half of the eight or 900 people attending the vineyard at that time formed this church, the bridge. So it is somewhat ironic that I'm now helping with worship music here and even giving a preach on a Sunday morning. God's sense of humor, I think. But yeah, that was a very hard time uh, for me, for us as a family, for the church. Um, as Just leading up to that, as things were getting more difficult at the leadership level, I really thought that we were getting to the hard but good stuff of honesty and getting to the real issues. And I believed we'd get through it and come out the other end a stronger church. I didn't think anything like a split was even an option. But within a week or two of realizing how bad things were, we, uh, we had what we called Black Sunday. And the following Sunday, we had about 300 people instead of the eight or 900 the week before. Yeah, and I'm not a super emotional guy, but that first Sunday of our new reality, I got up to lead worship and I just started weeping at the mic. You know, the body keeps the scores, they say. Um, you just realize how much stuff hits you at times like that. So uh, a few weeks later, I was prayer walking around Mill Lake, which I did at that time. And I asked God what that was all about. I can't say I've heard God speak all that clearly over the years. Uh, but I felt a pretty clear phrase come to me that day. He said, and at that time, it would have only been he. Uh, he said, so that you'd love the church more. 
and uh, I think that happened. I, I think it, it, it did help me understand the church more. Uh, I learned a lot of stuff. Um, that whole experience taught me a ton about things like even when you think you're on the same page, you're not on the same page. <laughs> and that the church and communities in general need to get way better at dealing with small conflicts, like realizing you're not on the same page and that's okay and not be threatened by it so that things don't fester and eventually blow up as they do. And of course, the split was hard enough, but then in the wake of it, because of my heart for unity and peacemaking, I started talking to other staff and leadership at the vineyard about reconciliation with the bridge, but probably way too soon and most likely not sensitive enough to the hurt others were feeling. And that caused tension with the people who, again, I thought I was on the same page with and, and even for, with those folks, I wasn't on the same page. So that was, that was weird and crazy. I was probably in the very early stages of deconstructing my faith before that, uh, but that experience kicked it into high gear, and I started asking a lot more questions in the following years. Before the split, since things like Love Abbotsford were already dying down, I was already getting what I call dry at the church job. Um, since the time I would have placed on exciting unity events like Love Abbotsford, I now had to spend on things like men's ministry which is fine, but not where my heart was. So I took a three-month sabbatical, which is when I read my first Brian McLaren book, considered by many evangelicals to be a heretic, alongside Rob Bell, another heretic who's also had a huge influence on me. Um, I started seeing a spiritual director who really opened me up to asking more questions and during that time, I was also getting more involved supporting my good friend Kathy Hardy's music. And she was probably the first person in my life who challenged me to consider the feminine character of God. These all were huge contributors to my deconstruction. I started asking more questions at church, and that didn't go well. And I began feeling more and more that I couldn't be myself at church. And I felt like a person who was being paid to be a certain kind of Christian. Certain double meaning there. So I finally resigned in 2009. Another huge letting go. Especially since I remember thinking early on in my time at the vineyard that it was a church I could grow old in. But when I finally did let it go... There may have been some disappointment, but more so I felt free. We pieced things together for a couple of years, uh, part-time jobs for Nan and I both. Um, during that time, I recorded an album called One, which was another experience of faith. Uh, it was a super positive experience, putting it together with Philip Jantz and eating Brenda's amazing lunches over at their studio. Uh, I was super proud of how it turned out, but then the disappointment came with it not really going anywhere substantially and falling short of breaking even financially. Um, as we were piecing things together, it got too tight for us personally, financially. Uh, so I became a truck driver as one does. And I've been doing that now for 10 years. It's pretty crazy. 
I actually still really enjoy it. Uh, but I definitely did and still do have times where I have feelings of disappointment, you know, wondering if I've squandered my gift. But thankfully, at the same time, I've been learning how to live more mindfully, gratefully, open handedly rather than clenched fistedly. And I think I can honestly say that I've never felt more joyful and alive. So thankful for all I've got in my life. My wife and kids, uh, roof over my head, food to eat, job I enjoy, friends, mountain biking. <laughs> no, the list is long. I've actually learned from the Buddhists through my guru, podcaster, and atheist, Sam Harris. Some of you know. Uh, I've learned that suffering is wanting things to be different than they are, rather than just accepting them. It's not like we don't work to make things better, but in each moment, all we can do is surrender to how things are, and I'm experiencing the freedom and joy of that, and that's what I call good news. I think Jesus calls it good news, too. Huge verses for me during this time and till now are from Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 uh, from the message. And I love quoting this. I love speaking it to people. Like, this is what God says to you. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So as Nancy and I have been working through all these changes and how we think about church and God, uh, we stepped away from organized church a few years ago. Uh, but I haven't been able to shake my desire to be part of something bigger than myself, uh, being part of a community that is working to make the world a better place. Like it also says in Hebrews, uh, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. So we started a bunch of years ago, we started a brunch or dinner group, which was mostly eight to 12-ish de-churched folk who appreciated being with others with the same frustrations with church uh, and asking a lot of the same questions it started out more as a bitch fest and then it got more positive <laughs> it was necessary though uh, but then with covid and people moving uh, that fizzled out as well another disappointment for me but at the same time I've learned to be okay with it uh, and it also brought us here to check out life at the bridge as mentioned, I mountain bike regularly with Jeff, uh, so I knew about the trajectory this community has been on for the last number of years, and I was really intrigued. And so far, it seems to be checking all the important boxes for me, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on any of these, but I know that it's a place that fully affirms LGBTQ plus folks. That's been huge for us. Um, it's also a place where you can be yourself. It's a place where any question is valid. It seems to be open to a variety of interpretations of scripture and theology. 
it must be if I'm talking to you this morning. <laughs> and it's a place where I could get involved musically since that's been such a huge part of my life. So I actually play hockey on Mondays with Jeff and with Dean Richmond, who I worked with at the Vineyard and who pastored here till a little while ago. And we had actually done some prison ministry together in the past when he was a chaplain. So I had heard from him and Jeff how he was leading this church through a deconstruction of sorts. So the other day at hockey, I said to him, uh, funny thing, we're actually checking out the bridge and I'm actually speaking there on Sunday. <laughs> he found that pretty interesting, of course. Um, but as I was talking, I just really felt like and, and I I thanked him for guiding this church in such a way that opened the door to it becoming a place where Nan and I could eventually attend in this season of our lives. And while I'm still learning the story, I think I also need to thank Sarah for being a key player in bringing the church to where it is today, along with Eden, Karina, and others, of course. I'm sure a few men did something in there. No offense to the men who did a lot in there. <laughs> if that happened, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So even though both Nan and I have now spoken on a Sunday morning and I've led some worship music here, uh, we're actually still holding it loosely. We're still a little gun shy, to be honest. And we would say at this point, we haven't fully committed, whatever that means. But we're trying to be very present while we're here. And we're very thankful for this group we've been able to join in with for however long it works. So there you have it, my life of faith and disappointment in a nutshell, somewhat of a nutshell. Um, while I'm sure there will be more experiences to come that could lead to disappointment, I feel like I'm growing to be better equipped to handle them with grace and peace and acceptance and even joy. That Hebrews passage ends with this. It says, in faith died these all without receiving the promises, but from a distance they saw and welcomed them. They acknowledged that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. So it's a pleasure to be sojourning with you all here at the bridge in this season, spurring one another on to love and good deeds and learning from our joys and disappointments together. So maybe this stirs up your own dis experiences of disappointment and how you've responded in the past versus how you might respond now. Um, I think we can take a few moments for, you know, we could be quiet for a bit and reflect on that. Um, or we can, you can respond however you'd like in this next time. I think Jeff's going to help me out with it. Is that right, Jeff? Yes, it is, Kevin. Um, you know me, I love silence, but um, I, there's so many things bubbling up um, right now. Um, and I just want to uh, cap off uh, your little chat with a, with a brief prayer for us. Um, God, thank you so much for Kevin, for who he is. Um, and I especially ask that his... Uh, desire for authenticity and his heart for unity would um, kindle a similar fire in all of us and um, that that would keep on growing. And uh, yeah, we, um, 
we are blessed and uh, we ask for blessing. Amen.